Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Coffee and Prayer. I'm Pastor Andrew F. Carter, and it is 5.30 a.m. here in Inglewood, California. As you guys are tuning in, please let me know where you're at and what time it is. Good morning, good morning. What is up? So check it out. Uh, this is a worldwide ministry. If you guys aren't aware, I'm going to give you guys, I'm going to give people a little bit of time to get tuned in. Uh, but this is a worldwide ministry. Brothers and sisters from around the world coming together to read, to understand, to learn, to be consistent, to to have a deeper like grasp of the Word of God. Amen. Phillips in Los Angeles, you're in my neck of the woods. I love it. Good morning, fam. My brother Rennell, my brother Rennell, he's on here. Bengals are going to the Super Bowl. Congratulations, my brother. Uh, we got Belfast, Ireland. Good morning. Baltimore, Maryland. There we go. India, Canada. Check it out. So this is a Bible study, you guys. We have gone for over a hundred days in a row. A hundred days in a row. Over a hundred days in a row. Imagine the impact that that can make on somebody's life. Imagine the impact that it can make on your life if you would devote time, energy, and effort to having a deeper understanding of the Word of God. This morning, I'm filled with gratitude, um, humility, thankfulness. Uh, I'm filled with just this solid appreciation. I'm not going to go into detail, but yesterday was a day where I received quite a few testimonies, right? Quite a few testimonies. Um, Mandy, if you're listening, right? Mandy sent me an email, and I'm not going to go into detail over her situation, but it was heartfelt. You guys, the, the the testimonies that people have shared, that the impact that this has made. Mandy, I love you. I honor you. And thank you for sharing that with me through email. Uh, means the world to me. Another individual who got saved at the end of uh, each book, right? At the end of each book, of the Bible, we, we do a, an altar call, I guess a virtual altar call. Um, but you know, over 10 people got saved at the end of John and, uh, one of them reached out and said, I was one of the 10 and I am on fire for Jesus. Like, uh, it's made an impact and it gets you teared up because you know, there several people have given their life to Christ over the last hundred days. And, uh, it's a thing of beauty. And I just want to remind you that you guys are all, uh, all you guys are all a part of that, right? You guys are partnering with me and preaching the gospel through your badges and the way that you guys uh, donate through your guys' support, your encouragement, showing up every single day. You guys are helping reach individuals around the world with the gospel. And so today, I come with just uh, the most humility, the most just uh, gratitude, thankfulness, and appreciation. You guys, so give your guys' selves a, a pat on the back for being a part of something that is greater than us. We're here for Jesus, right? We are vessels for the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> we are privileged to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not a burden. It is not something that we uh, we have to do. It's something that we get to do, right? So I love you guys, and uh, I honor all of you. The impact that you guys have made on my life, uh, I couldn't, it, it's undescribable. It's priceless. You know, knowing that you guys are waiting on me in the morning, you know, I get up with a, a fire and a zeal and a passion to, to know God better and to share that with you guys. So check it out. Enough of the, 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 the softness, enough of the niceties. Let's jump into Acts chapter nine. Put that in the chat. Go ahead and put that in the chat. We are going to do uh, Acts chapter nine. 
And while you guys are putting that, is there a way you guys can help on Skid Row? Go to Love Movement. Um, it's not something that I do. There are several organizations that are there almost daily. So you guys got to do research. Outreach is on Skid Row. Uh, don't come down to see me. Come down to, if you truly want to help. There are dozens of organizations. We partner with Bear Truth and the Love Movement. So those two are the ones that we partner with. They have uh, outreaches on Thursdays and Sundays. And we go when we're free. And then... Uh, <clears throat> been around the past hundred days. T. Smith, I love it. I absolutely love it. So Acts chapter nine, let's get up to date. So uh, here we find that Saul is now being converted. This is a famous story. Saul is now being converted to a follower of Jesus. Up until this point, uh, we know that Stephen was our very first martyr. He was somebody who was preaching with zeal and passion. We understand Philip was also filled with the Holy Spirit. He is led to, uh, by God, the angel of the Lord comes to him. He is led to, to go out on a journey. He runs into an Ethiopian who's reading the book of Isaiah. He gets him saved and baptized in that moment. And then out of nowhere, bam, he just like, he takes off. He's gone. He shows up in a whole nother city. Okay. But here, um, you guys are reading Acts chapter 9. In Jerusalem, Saul was still threatening the followers. So he was he was going house to house. He was dragging them out. He was um, accusing them. He was locking them up. He was voting for them to be executed, right? We find out later that he was voting for them to be executed. And uh, he was seeing that through. He was also trying to force them to commit blasphemy, to renounce Jesus. Um so at one point he goes to the the high priest and asks him to write a letter. It's almost like a it's like a warrant, right? He gets a he gets a warrant. He's just like, hey, I want to go and find followers of of Christ's way, men or women. I want to arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem. So Saul headed towards Damascus, and as he was heading that way, a bright light from heaven suddenly flashed around him, and he fell to the ground. And he hears this voice saying, "Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?" Saul said, "Who are you, Lord?" He says, I am Jesus, right? There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He says, I am Jesus. The, the voice that you hear, you're at, you're blinded right now. The voice that you hear, I am Jesus. Who you were persecuting, get up and go into the city. Someone there will tell you what you must do. The people with Saul, right? They, they heard the voice, but they didn't see anything. So they helped him up and he couldn't see he was blind. So they lead him by the arm all the way into town. And it says for three days, he did not eat or drink. Talk about a fast, right? He did not eat or drink anything. Now, one of the followers of Jesus, Ananias, had a vision. We talked about we talked about Philip in last chapter, how Philip, uh, th there was an angel of the Lord. And he said, get ready and go south to the road that leads to Gaza. And then the next verse was like, so Philip got ready and went. There were no questions about it. But we understand here, an angel, or uh, the Lord spoke to Ananias in a vision. And he says, get up and go to Straight Street, find the house of Judas, ask for a man named Saul from the city of Tarsus, right? Saul of Tarsus, he's a bad dude. They know who he is. As a follower of Christ, you know who Saul of Tarsus is because at this point, he has been persecuting, chasing down followers of the way, arresting them and uh, having them executed, beaten, tortured, uh, and, and forcing them to commit blasphemy or renouncing Jesus Christ, right? He is there now praying. Saul has seen a vision and... Uh, uh, that a man named Ananias will come to him and lay his hands on him. And then in verse 13, it says, but Ananias answered, he said, but Lord, many people have told me about this man and the terrible things he did to your holy people in Jerusalem. Now he's come to Damascus and the leading priests have given him the power to arrest everyone who worships you. Right? So rightfully, 
you know, Ananias is a little hesitant. He's just kind of like, Saul of Tarsus? Like, like, Lord, wait a second. You're talking about Saul of Tarsus? Are you talking about, uh, is there a different Saul? Do you got the right Ananias? Like, hold on, you're calling me to go find this man who is hunting down Christians? A little bit of uh, hesitation. But the Lord says, um, go. <laughs> In my version, it says, go, exclamation point. I have chosen Saul for an important work. He must tell about me to those who are not Jews, to kings, and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So he must go to those who are not Jews, to kings, and to the people of Israel. Saul is a very important part of what uh, God is doing. He, you know, primarily the apostles, the disciples, the close followers, they were ministering to the chosen people, to the Jews. They understood because they witnessed the Samaritans receive the Holy Spirit. So they understood that the gospel would be preached to those outside of the Jewish community. But Paul or Saul, well, at this point, Saul was a key instrument. He was a cornerstone to reaching those outside of the Jewish community. So Ananias went, he, he, he was obedient. He laid hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus sent me. I like, I feel like he's, he's being gentle and soft. Like it's almost like Saul was this bad dude and nobody really wanted to mess with him. They didn't want to cross him. And so I can see Ananias kind of creeping in and uh, Brother Saul, uh, the Lord Jesus sent me. Uh, the, Jesus, the one that you saw on the road on your way here. So he sent me so that you can see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Immediately, something that looked like fish scales fell from his eyes. And he was able to see again. Then Saul got up and was baptized. Saul got up and was baptized. After he ate some food, his strength returned. This is the second chapter where we talk about this baptism upon conversion. Is it required? No, I don't believe so. But it is something that we should desire. Once the scales fall from our eyes and we see the truth, we should desire to be baptized in that moment. We don't wait for the right opportunity is something that we should long for and that we should go after. Again, I understand that because of what's happened over the last couple of years, the ability to be baptized has been diminished. I've known a lot of people who wanted to be baptized and were excited about it, but they didn't have the availability. They weren't able to because so many churches were closed and there was the six foot distance. There were these issues that were arising that were keeping people from being baptized. Do you think that maybe was a ploy of the enemy? Right. I want to talk a little bit about this just because I remember when I was baptized. And it was like, I don't want to say that the skies opened, but it, it imprinted this picture on my heart. I was I think 23 years old. And uh, again, if you know anything about my story, I've gone through a season of being of being backslid, being away from God, but it doesn't uh, diminish or limit the, the situation and the experience, the feeling, the emotion, and the knowing of what occurred that day. Uh, as I was baptized, I remember coming out of the water and there was just, the, we were outside and the day was just beautiful. It was just like a, it was a beautiful summer day. There wasn't a cloud in the sky and there was just this oneness. There was this connection. I remember it clear as day. And then later that day, we went uh, back to our house and we had, uh, we lived in this apartment complex where there was these basketball courts and there was a little barbecue pit. And so we had every Sunday, regardless of whether we were baptized or not, we had people over in between church services. So after church, I got baptized. We had an evening service, but in the afternoon, it was clear and it was beautiful and I'm, I'm there playing basketball, my favorite sport, and I'm laying down on, the, you know, in between games and I'm looking at the sky and it was clear and the sounds were so real and the colors were so uh, bright and vivid and the smell 
smells were so intense and we were eating and fellowshipping and we were coming together and then we went back to church early, an hour early, and we were praying together collectively in the spirit. And then we heard a sermon and it was just like, it, it was the perfect day right? It was like the perfect day. It's something that I could never, uh, it's something that I could never like erase from my mind. And, and in that moment, it was so, so amazing. So amazing. And, and I wouldn't have waited after that. Did I still sin? Yeah. Did I still make mistakes? Absolutely. Um, I still found myself leaving that church. I found myself pursuing my own kingdom. I found myself, uh, in the, the pits of prison because of my own choices and my own decisions. I found myself backslid and away from God. Even after my baptism, it does not like, uh, it does not take away from my baptism whatsoever. And I have no desire or need to be rebaptized because I understand what that was. Being baptized doesn't mean that you will never sin or make mistakes or fall away. I fell away because I wasn't being diligent. I wasn't taking the discipleship uh, the way that I needed to. And um, it was all pride. It was all ego. It was all me falling away because life wasn't panning out the way that I visioned, dreamed, or the goals that I set weren't being reached. Amen. So it's like, this is, uh, this is like, for those of you who are, are on the fence about being baptized, we have two back-to-back chapters. I don't think that it's a, it's a coincidence where once they saw the truth, they got baptized, right? They got baptized. And so in, in, in my, uh, what I believe is that once you guys come to Christ, don't wait get baptized regardless of, you know, what's, you know, regardless of your thought process. We have two individuals back to back where they gave their life to Christ and they made that decision and they immediately got baptized. Amen. So this is where uh, I want to kind of move forward. I'm just reading some of the, the questions and some of the comments. Awesome. So, um, Saul preaches in Damascus. So after his strength returns, Saul stayed with the followers of Jesus in Damascus for a few days. Listen, for a few days he was here. He began to preach about Jesus in the synagogue, saying that Jesus is the Son of God. Just days before, he was coming after those who were uh, followers of Christ. Right? He was, he was arresting them. Now here you see he's in the synagogues preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. All the people who heard him were amazed. They said, this is the man who was in Jerusalem trying to destroy those who trust in this name. He came here to arrest the followers of Jesus and take them back to the leading priests. But Saul grew more powerful. His proofs that Jesus is the Christ were so strong that the people, that the Jewish people in Damascus, they couldn't argue with him. And after many days, they wanted to kill Saul. And so they had to sneak Saul out of the city. He heads back to Jerusalem. So when Saul gets back to Jerusalem, he tried to join the group of followers, right? Imagine being a follower of Christ and here comes Saul. Last you know, he was there arresting people. You're like scattering. He's like, hey guys, like I'm here to, I'm, I'm here to preach Jesus. And they're just like, well, this dude was just in Damascus and here he comes back. Like we might not have heard or understood. And now the man who was like arresting us and killing us and, and, and sentencing us to death. Now he's trying to to hang out, I would be suspect, right? I would be, uh, I would be very questionable. Like I would be questioning his authenticity. Is he a plant? Is he a mole? What is he doing? 
one minute he's arresting my friend and and watching Stephen be stoned to death. And now he's just like, hey, guys, I'm here to preach Jesus with you. And it's just like, whoa, time out. Think about like, you know, we always talk about, oh, come on, Holy Spirit. About forgiveness. Oh, Andrew, it's so hard to forgive people. It's so hard for me to hold. I'm holding on to these things. And, and this isn't me mocking. This is like, this is, I know because this is me. I've been in places where, gosh, it's been so hard. Like they hurt me. They lied to me. They stabbed me in the back. They betrayed me. They used some of the most vulnerable and personable things that I shared with them against me. They used the very things that I was open about sharing my heart. And they used those things to stab me in it, right? They hurt me. They cheated on me. They betrayed me. Oh, I can't forgive them. This is a beautiful picture of forgiveness. The very man who was killing and, and, and persecuting the church. The very man, like not that much, like just a little bit before. Before, just a little bit before was coming against them. And this is the picture of love and forgiveness and understanding. Lord, how many times should I forgive him? Seven times or seven times seven? Right, seven times, 77, 700 times. Should you continuously extend that forgiveness? We overlook the, the amount of times that, there, that, that forgiveness is offered. And so many of us want to say, well, it's easier said than done. Mm. It's, it's easier said than done. It's not that easy. Well, well, what if Jesus said that? What if Jesus was like, Lord, or Father, you want to put me on the cross? Have you seen what they did to me? They spit on me. They pulled the beard from my face. They rejected me. Judas stabbed me in the back. Peter denied me three times. Uh, Andrew, I know Andrew's going to be in, in the 80s and the 90s. That man, he's a menace to society. He, he denies me. He comes against me. And you want me to forgive him? You want me to forgive him? Well, it's going to take time. Well, what if Jesus said, I'm going to forgive, but I'm not going to forget. I'm going to hold on to it. You guys think that's, ooh, holy spirit. What if Jesus said, well, I'm going to forgive, but I'm not going to forget. What if Jesus said that? Is that how he forgives? What if he was like, well, well, I'm, it's going to take time for me to forgive. It's going to take a little bit of healing. I'm going to have to do some work. This isn't me being insensitive to your trauma. I'm merely saying this is scripture. Right? Jesus doesn't want you operating in a space of unforgiveness. The forgiveness that we extend to others should be, it's a choice. It's a choice. It's a decision. If you're holding on to unforgiveness, you are choosing. Don't tell me otherwise. Don't tell me otherwise. That is a lie that you have told yourself. If you are harboring unforgiveness in your heart, if you're holding on to something, that is not biblical. That is not a follower of Jesus. That is you creating this false narrative saying, well, 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 healing takes time in this, right? Forgiveness takes time. I thank God that Jesus didn't take time, that he went to the cross and forgave me instantly, that I don't have to worry about him counting all of the things that I've done wrong to him. Because if that was the case, I wouldn't be forgiven, but forgiven, but forgiveness is a choice, Right? It is a choice. Now, if you're offended by this, if this hurts a little bit, this is the confrontational truth of the gospel. This is the confrontational truth. Don't be mad at me. Be mad at God. 
Take that up with God. This is a word for somebody out there. If you guys are holding on to unforgiveness and you're telling me that it's hard, that is the choice and the decision that you are making. I have so many things that I could hold on to. People who lied to me, cheated me, stabbed me in the back, betrayed me. I have so many things that I can harbor that all of this unforgiveness that I could hold close to my chest and I hold none of it. And this isn't me tooting my own horn. I have decided that I don't have the time, energy, effort, or space to hold on to unforgiveness. If you lied on me, I forgive you. If you cheated on me, I forgive you. If you turned your back on me, I forgive you. If you did the unthinkable, whatever you did, I forgive you. I, I am not going to allow the decisions, the choices, and, and the behavior of other people to define me or to hold me from moving into what God has called me to. Because unforgiveness is like an anchor and not a good anchor. Imagine being a ship and there's a destination. You're trying to get somewhere. God has a destination. He has a place for you, right? He, he's taking you in a direction. You're following the path of God. That unforgiveness that you're holding onto is an anchor and it keeps you in the place that you're trying to get out of. Whoa, where does this even come from? Where does this even come from? So you guys, it's coming from the Holy Spirit. You guys hold on to that unforgiveness, and you're not able to move forward because it's keeping you there. You're allowing what other people did, other people's choices, you're allowing that hurt, that trauma, that pain to hold on to you. You're allowing it to define who you are. I know who I am. I'm a new creation. So I forgive you. The, the people who hurt you, what we need to be doing is not, listen, ooh, Holy Spirit, what we need to be doing is praying for them, right? Because the, the way that they treated you, the things that they did is an indication that they don't have Christ in their heart, that they don't know him. If they had Christ in their heart, they wouldn't be lying. They wouldn't be cheating. They wouldn't be betraying. They wouldn't be stabbing you in the back. They need a better and deeper revelation of who Jesus is and who Jesus is in them. I know who I am. I am one with God, Christ. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of me. Because it dwells inside of me, I can no longer hold on to unforgiveness. So I forgive them. In fact, I'm praying for their heart that they see the error in their ways and find a place of repentance. But I'm not going to allow their choices and decisions to change who I am as a follower of Jesus. Ooh. Come on now. Come on now. We have to remember that it is done. It is done. Unforgiveness is a choice. Don't have to agree with me. Don't have to like it. But that is what the word of God says. Remember, in what gospel do they ask? They say, hey, uh, hey, God, you know, if my brother comes against me, how many times should I forgive them, right? Seven, we, we went over this. And Jesus is like, you forgive them infinity times, even if they keep coming back and hurting you and keep coming back and hurting you. Now, that doesn't mean that, it, what, what, ooh, Holy Spirit, because this is something. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you continuously let other people have chances. So I always get this question, well, Andrew, I forgive them and they keep hurting me. That's also your choice. I can very much forgive people for hurting me, but I also have the choice whether or not I let them back in my life. Forgiveness, right? I can forgive you, but that doesn't mean that you have access to me. I can forgive you, but that doesn't mean that there aren't boundaries and that I haven't separated myself from you. I can very much forgive somebody and not allow them to be a part of my life. I, I, can, I can forgive them, but I understand that, hey, you know, that that's, it, it, yeah. A lot of people will say that. Well, I forgive them, but they keep doing it over and over again. Stop giving them the opportunity to do it over again. Forgiving them doesn't mean that they that you have that they have to have access to you. Does that make sense? 
Does that make sense? We we can still have boundaries. We don't have to be a Christian. Doesn't have to be a doormat. And that's one thing that I've seen. Is there's this spiritual abuse is where non-believers or people who don't have Jesus. I thought you were a Christian. You're supposed to forgive me. I've I've literally heard this. Right? You, well, you, oh, you say that you're a follower of God. Then then why don't you forgive me? Let me back in. That is narcissistic. That is abuse. That is uh, that is abusing. Uh, yeah, that, that that's not right. That's not right. You can very much, you can, hey, I forgive you. That doesn't mean I got to let you be, I got to be a doormat and I got to let you into my life. Amen. Come on now. How do we get here? I don't know. But uh, I guess we'll get back to the scripture. Saul is having a hard time being integrated with the followers as just slightly before he was uh, persecuting them. But good old Barnabas, he was introduced earlier in Acts. Barnabas accepted Saul and took him to the apostles. Barnabas explained to them that Saul had seen the Lord on the road and the Lord had spoken to Saul. Then he told them how badly Saul had preached, how boldly, not badly, how boldly he preached uh, the name of Jesus in Damascus. And so Saul stayed with the followers going everywhere in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. He would often argue with the the Hellenistic Jews. We introduced them um, that he would still argue with the the Greek speaking Jews, and and they were trying to kill him. Right? I feel like the the Hellenistic Jews these they don't they don't pull no punches. They don't mess around. They are quick with it. Like if you're in opposition to them, they're plotting to kill you. These are the same ones that killed Stephen. Right? These are the same ones. Understand this? They're in Jerusalem. These are the same ones. He held their coats as they stoned Stephen. He was there in Jerusalem with them. He comes back from Damascus and now they're just like, wait a second. You just came over here and got a warrant to hunt these individuals down and bring them back so that we can bring them to justice. But now you're here in the synagogues preaching the name of Jesus. What is going on? And so when the followers learned about this, they took Saul to Caesarea and from there sent him to Tarsus. They sent him home. They're like, look, dude, you are killing it. We love you. We, we understand. We, like, we accept you. We forgive you. We see that you are one of ours. You got to get out of here because they're going to do the same thing to you that they just did to Stephen. So they sent him back home. Saul of Tarsus is back in Tarsus. So the church everywhere in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had a time of peace and became stronger. Respecting the Lord by the way they lived and being encouraged by the Holy Spirit, the group of believers continued to grow. Then it, it jumps out to uh, Peter. We, we jump back to Peter, right? We, th- we've been talking about uh, Stephen, Philip, Saul. We flash back to Peter. Peter, is uh, he goes on a little mission. He takes off. <clears throat> and he says that he arrived in, uh, where did he go? Oh, Lydda. And there he met a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed. He had been paralyzed for eight years. And Peter just said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Stand up and make your bed. He stood up and it says in verse 35, all the people living in Lydda and on the plain of Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So we're, we're, we don't forget about Peter. Peter's out here making a way. He's out here killing it. And then Peter heals Tabitha as well. He doesn't just heal her. He, he raises her from the dead. He, she's resurrected. So she was always doing good. She, Tabitha uh, is known in the city of Joppa for her kind acts and good deeds. And while Peter was there, she became sick and died. Her body was washed and put in a room upstairs. 
But the people heard that Peter was in Lydda. So they sent messengers to him and they begged him to come. And so Peter got ready. He shows up. When he arrived, there's widows there. They're around him. They're crying. They show him the shirts and the coats. Like he wa- he walks in and they're showing him all of the things that she's made with her hands. Like these are her shirts and these are the little booties and the bonnets and all of the things that she's made and the coats. And um, Peter sends everybody out. He says, get out the room. He kneels and he prays. He turns to the body and says, Tabitha, stand up. She opens her eyes. When she sees him, she sits up. And then Peter calls uh, all the people back into the room and shows them that Tabitha was alive. People were everywhere in Joppa learned about this. Many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed there for a while. That is Acts, you guys. Acts chapter 9. You guys are reading that on your own. I basically read it to you, but uh, that doesn't cut it. Right, Coffee and prayer isn't um, story time where I'm just sitting here reading to you. I want you guys to devote time, energy, and effort to reading the scriptures on your own, whether it's during, whether it's before, whether it's after, whether it's all three, uh, but get a better, deeper understanding of the scripture. Right, This, this is one thing that kind of came across um, my heart. And this isn't even of this chapter. This is chapter seven, right? I believe seven or, or eight. When Stephen was killed, Okay, when Stephen was stoned to death, and what we're gonna hear in the book of Acts is we're gonna we're gonna hear about some deaths, some martyrs, uh, some of the persecuted, different ways that they lost their lives. I want to share this with you guys. Um, if they didn't see, right, many of them, many of the the disciples and the followers that we hear about, some were boiled, beheaded hung upside down on crosses. Some were sawed in half, cut in half. Would they do that for something they didn't see? These are individuals who witnessed Jesus be raised from the dead. It was so clear to them. Listen to me, follow me here. They knew the truth because they saw him hang on that cross. They witnessed him die. They saw him stabbed with a spear. They witnessed him be put in the tomb. Three days later, they saw him resurrected. In 40 days of you know being with him, walking with him, they witnessed him go to heaven. If this wasn't true, okay, if this wasn't true, do you think that they would allow those things to happen? Would they die for a lie? I don't know about you, but I wouldn't die for a lie. I wouldn't die for a lie. I wouldn't die for a lie. If this was a mass executed lie. This was a scheme that over 500 people came up with, right? We're like, okay, we're going to, this is what we're going to do. We're going to come together. If, if they're just like, okay, dude, look, we're about to boil you alive. I would start fessing up like, whoa, okay, 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 okay. Hold on a second. Time out. Okay. Before you boil me alive, that doesn't sound pleasant. Let me just come clean. Let me just share with you guys. This was a lie. We lied from the get-go. We never saw him. We never seen him do to do to do. If I was about to be hung upside down on a cross, if I was about to be sawn in half, I would not die for a lie. But we have to understand that they saw him. They understood. They said, look, man, do what you must here on this earth. I'm not going to deny him because I saw with my own eyes. I believe this is true. This is the truth. And I'm willing to die for it. Would, would we not see, like, think about that. Think about that. Like, like we, we lose sight. I think that it's easy to kind of breeze over because we read it in retrospect. Oh, yeah, they were powerful. and da, 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 da. Like, in the face of death, 
There's not a lot of things, honestly, if I'm being real with you, that I would die for. Uh, and there's not a lot of people that I would lay my life down. That sounds selfish. That sounds horrible. But can we be real and raw and honest? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I'll tell you this. I wouldn't die for somebody's lie. I'll tell you that right now. I would not die for somebody's lie. If, if we were lying, I would, I would come up clean. Come clean off of it. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, let's not, we don't got to boil me. Like, okay, it's gone far enough. Like, we're done. It just adds emphasis to the power and the truth and the reality of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit, of the resurrection. These men and women were willing to lay their lives down on the line so that you and I would have access to the truth. They were willing to die by being stoned, beheaded, hung upside down, boiled, cut in half, the list goes on so that we could have access to the truth of Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? Like, let that sink in. And that's what we're reading about in the in Acts. That's what we're learning about. That's what we're understanding. It could have gone differently. It didn't because it was God's plan, but wow. They laid their lives down on the line so that we could have access to the truth. That's like, that brings humility. That's that, that it's just like Holy Spirit's dealing with me in this moment. How, oh, thank you, Jesus. With that said, why do we take it so lightly? Why do we breeze through our devotion to the word? Why, why do we allow our Bibles to sit on dusty shelves? Why do we struggle with pulling our attention and our focus off of social media to get into it? You guys, people died for us to have this. People laid their lives down on the line so that we could have access to this. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. It's truly humbling. And we can't make time, we can't make five, ten minutes to know this, to understand this. There's a quote, uh, I don't even know who says it. It's just like, what's the difference between a man who can't read and a man who doesn't read? There's, there's nothing. There is, there is no difference. If you are not taking time to read your word, you are rendering yourself illiterate. You are rendering yourself illiterate. There is no difference between the one who can't read and the one who doesn't. We have time. We make time for the things that we want. We make time for the things that are truly important to us. Please don't tell me that you're too busy. I, I heard a, I heard yesterday, I was listening to Dan Moeller yesterday, and he had an illustration. And he said he had a buddy who worked six days a week, 12-hour shifts, rarely had time. He worked 12-hour days, right? Every day, for years, six days a week without, without fail. And he worked and worked and worked. And he would tell Dan, he said, man, it's, it's hard. You know, um, I just feel like I don't have very much time for God. And he's like, yeah, you know, I, I totally get it. And so he worked and worked and worked. And he got to a point where he saved up so much money from working 12 hour days, six days a week. He saved up so much money that he was able to take a year off from work without struggle, without strain. He was able to take work off for over a year. And, and during that year, you know, he, he did his thing. He lived, uh, you know, he enjoyed himself, yada, yada, yada. At the end of the year, he comes to Dan and he goes, what, what breaks my heart 
is that over this last year, I didn't get any closer to God than I was when I was working 12-hour shifts six days a week. You see, we have the choice to make time for God, right? Many of us said this, hold on now, bear with me. Many of this, many of us in 2019, we'd say, oh, well, we'll make more time with God, but I got a job, right? I will make more time for fitness and getting in shape. I'll make more time to start that book that I've been wanting to write. I'll make more time to start those online classes. I'll make more time. But what happened in 2020, right? I'm not trying to shame you or make you feel bad, but guess what? A lot of people had a whole lot more time on their hands, right? A lot of things got shut down and a lot of people had a lot of time on their hands. Did that book get written? For some of you, maybe. But for some of you, maybe not. Did you guys get on those online courses or in those classes? Probably not. Did you get more fit? Probably not. You, we, we say that, oh, if I just had more time, I'd be able to do these things. Well, 2020 gave a lot of people a lot more time and came out on the other side of 2020 worse off. It's not an issue of having more time. It's an issue of getting your priorities straight and, and organizing things in the order of importance and God must be first. So please don't tell me that if you just had more time, you'd be able to do this or that. We shouldn't be trying to fit God into our schedule. Our schedule should be built around God. He must be the focal point. He must be the centerpiece. He he must be at the top. Amen? So many of us said that. I'm going to go, hey, if I had more time, hey, God has a sense of humor. He's like, oh, is that what it is? More time? You want more time? Here you go. Here's here's a year of more time. And I understand that there was pressures, there was frustration, there was concern, there was all of these things. I don't know about you, but I used that more time to get closer to God. Uh, It was was a speed bump in in life. And I think that a lot of people came out on the other side closer to God. I I do see that. But please don't use not having enough time as an excuse to not read your word, to not have a deeper and better understanding of who God is. Please do not use that as an excuse. Amen. Beautiful. So Psalm chapter 91, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to jump into, um, Psalm chapter 91. Somebody put that in the chat, please. Mm-mm-mm. Anybody, somebody, there we go. Psalm 91. Thank you. Um, I mean, this is one of those psalms, right? We talk about it. This is one of those ones that just hit my soul. Speak to me, 100%. So it says, I'm going to just jump into verse 2. I'm going to just read. I highlighted quite a few things. But it says, I will say to the Lord, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. And so I started highlighting these words, okay? As I pray and when I pray, I use these words because these are true. God is your refuge. But how many of us run to Him? A refuge is a safe place. God is my fortress, right? In him will I trust. A fortress is an impenetrable structure that, that protects you. God, you, you. He is our fortress. He protects us. Oh my goodness. Surely he will deliver me from the snare of the fowler. He is our deliverer. Look, look, put this in the chat, okay? And whatever sticks out to you. God's my refuge, Right? God's my fortress. Who's, who out there does God, is God their fortress? Surely he will deliver me from the snare of the fowler. God is our deliverer. 
He delivers us. Amen. Uh, this is one of my favorites. It says, he shall cover me with his feathers and under his wings. God is my covering. He protects me. Right? As I'm here in the world, is just assaulting me with all of the things that make me feel like I'm less than or I'm unimportant or I'm not seen or heard. God is, sh he's shielding me. He's covering me. God is my coverer. It says that he will be my shield. God is shielding me. We must understand that, yes, life isn't easy. Things do happen that are out of our control, but God is still our fortress. It doesn't say that nothing's going to get through the shield or nothing's going to get past the fortress. He allows those things. The things that he allows in your life are, are more about developing your character. Because I've said this before, this isn't an original quote, that he's more concerned with your character than your comfort. Many times he allows these things to unsettle you and to get your attention. Maybe you're in a relationship that is just going down the drain. He's allowing that to happen because maybe that heartbreak will get you back to a place where you're closer to him than you are to the things of this world. Maybe you're going through a financial issue, so you have to step out in faith and trust him. Maybe the very place that you're in, he's trying to pull you out of, but you're so caught in being comfortable that he has to shake things up to get your attention to pull you out of that place. Because that's what we do by nature is we love comfort. We love things to be the same. God has disrupted my comfort level in 2022. I have no schedule. I can't get on a routine. I love routine. I thrive in routine. I love comfort. As soon as I get into a comfortable level, he shakes something up. Hey, you got to call at this time. You can't do your normal routine. Hey, somebody needs to talk and you got to get on a phone call. You got to do this. Hey, we need you out here in another city. Hey, we're flying you out. There's no level of comfort. God has kept me on my toes through the first month of 2022. And I love it. I love it because I'm living. Yes, there's a part of me that wants to sink back into this series of comfortableness. But results... Uh, they're found at the edge of your comfort zone. That's the personal trainer in me coming out. If you guys want results, they're found at the end of your comfort zone. So you got to constantly push your comfort zone. And as cliche as that sounds, it's actually true. So God is more concerned with your character than your comfort. So yes, he's our shield. Yes, he's our refuge. Yes, he is our high tower. Yes, he is our covering. Yes, he is our deliverer. But he will allow some things to get by, to light a fire underneath you, to get you moving. Because we're so ready to fall into a level of comfort. Woo, we're on fire this morning. We jump down in verse nine. It says that uh, even the most high, right? Because you had made the Lord, which is our refuge, your habitation. Uh, God is my habitation. God is where I live, a habitat, right? A natural habitat for a duck would be what? A lake? I, I don't know animals. I don't know zoology and stuff like that. But each each animal has a natural habitat. We must make our natural habitat as followers of Christ, the Lord. That is where we need to be living. When I wake up in the morning, I breathe. I have a pulse. I have a purpose. I'm going to run to the word. God, I thank you for giving me another day. Lord, what is it that you want me to do as I am living in you? This life isn't about me. Well, who do you want me to reach? Who do you want me to reach out to? Give me opportunities to share your gospel. How can I make you more known in the 24 hours that I have today? You are my habitation. I want you to live and dwell inside of me and I want to stay inside of you. 
I want to know every step. I want you to be with me every step, every choice, every decision, every opinion, every behavior, every thought. I want to be locked in with you. I don't want to stray away from you. I don't want to lose focus. I don't want my attention to be pulled off of you. I want my eyes on you at all times. You've given me 24 hours. How can I make it the most for you? And then when I go to bed, thank you, Lord, for giving me another day, for allowing me, giving me the privilege of handling your gospel and helping people, adding value to this world and helping people get closer to you. And then I lay my little head to sleep. And then when I wake up, I repeat, I'm like, oh, wow, I got another one. I'm so blessed. I've got another day. Thank you, Jesus. You, how can I use this day? And as I as I keep that mindset and as I keep that attitude and that, that humility and that, that, that sense of privilege that I'm able to experience another day of life, he provides opportunity. He provides everything that I need for today to get through today, to make him more known. And then I take it day by day, sticking close to him. He is my habitation. He is my life. And as I stay close to him, things are being taken care of. Bills are being paid. My, I, I, I don't lack food. I haven't gone hungry. I haven't missed a meal unless I'm fasting, right? I, I have transportation. I don't worry about that. I don't overthink about that. If I need wills to take me somewhere, then God's going to take me there. He's going to get me what I need for that moment. If I don't have them, Right? There was a day where we didn't have any cars. And so instead of like, oh man, what am I going to do? I can't. I said, okay, God, I don't need a car today. Then the plan and the purpose, the will that you have for me, it has nothing to do with me leaving this home or being in this area. And if I need to go somewhere, he's provided two little legs that I can walk on. Right? Or I got a bicycle that's hanging up. I can throw the back tire. I can put the tire on it. I can go wherever it is that I need to go. But I understand that if I don't have it today, I must not need it. That's not a part of the plan and purpose. I have all of the plans and, and dreams and goals that I want to get done. I have my checklist, my to-do list. But if I don't have something, then I must not need it for the day that God blessed me with. There's something else that he wants me to do. And I am so hungry and wanting to live inside of him and where he's at. I want him here in my heart that I'm willing to say, okay, I must not need it. Right? I want a million dollars. Can we be honest? Who, who, here, who here honestly wouldn't be like, hey, that would help out a lot. Of course, I want a million dollars, but I checked my account this morning. It didn't show up. Guess what? I must not need it. Right? And I'm okay with that. So I'm not even gonna I'm not, I'm not even gonna waste my time asking. I'm I'm going to be thankful and grateful for being here in this moment, and I'm going to find ways to make him more known. And that's my purpose. That's the plan. And he will shield me. He will uh he will comfort me, he will cover me, he will be my fortress, he will be my habitation. And the things that get past that, the things that get by that, I understand. Oh, hey, maybe I need to wake up, maybe I'm getting too comfortable. What is it that God wants me to do? Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe there's somebody I need to reach out to, or there's something that I need to be a part of that I'm missing because I'm too concerned with my own personal comfort. Woo! It's getting hot in here. Verse eleven. Says, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In verse 14, uh, he says that I set his love upon me, I will deliver him. He is our deliverer. You guys are reading this on your own. Psalm chapter 91. I could go on and on and on and on about this and get fired up because this generation is lost. Everybody's lost and they're looking for direction. And the direction is right there in front of them. People are, we're, we're now equating, we're equating success with purpose. These are two separate things. Your purpose in life isn't to succeed, 
right? Your purpose in life isn't to have the biggest bank account. That's not your purpose. That's a goal. That's a desire. That's a want. That's a, you know, that's a, a dream of your own. But our purpose, we must separate the two. You can be very purposeful where you're at without having a Ascent to your name, right? We look at the the disciples, we look at the followers of Christ that we're learning about in Acts, and they didn't have fancy watches, they didn't have fancy cars, they didn't have big mansions, they didn't have all of these things that we become so obsessed with. They were so focused on the will of God. They had shoes and sandals they were taken care of, right? They had the clothes on their back. They had food. They went to places. They were fed. They weren't overly concerned with consuming and and getting things and God continuously provided. But that's scary for some of you, right? Because you feel like you're missing out or maybe that like, like, like you're not doing well. Don't allow the, the opinions of this world to shape and define who you are. You are a follower of Jesus. The things that we are concerned about are not, they, they shouldn't be lined up with what this world is concerned about, right? This world is concerned about prosperity and finances and money and 401k and crypto and investing and having, you know, money and leaving a legacy, right? I want to leave something for my kids. The only thing that I want to leave for my kids is faith in Jesus, Right? That's what I want to be known for is allowing is people seeing him in me. That's the only legacy that I'm concerned with right now. Because they can I can leave them all the money in the world, but if they don't have a relationship with Christ, I've left them nothing. My legacy isn't wrapped up in consuming these things. I could care less if I died with a dollar in my bank account. As long as people knew where I stood and what I stood for and who I stood for. That is legacy. That's what I'm concerned about. As I lay my head to rest when I take my very last breath, did people see him in me? And if the answer is yes, I've succeeded. I've lived out my purpose. I've lived out the plan that God has for my life. I sit here, oh Lord, baby Jesus, I can't even go, I can't even do it. It's too much. I don't think you guys are ready. And, and this is what I want to say. I'm gonna I'm gonna end with this, and I got stuff to do today. I can't just be on Instagram all day. Um, but this came to me yesterday. A lot of people will they'll, they'll mix up. They'll they'll get some wires crossed. And I'm gonna use an example. So I used to tell myself. So if you guys don't know, I'm training for a half marathon right now. Um, I live in Los Angeles. I live in Inglewood. I came from Oregon. When I lived in Oregon, you could go on runs, beautiful six, seven, eight, nine, ten mile runs out in scenic nowhere. There's farmland, there's pastures, there's old back roads that you could just get on and there's no intersections, right? And you can get on the road, you can put your headphones in and you can just run. It's beautiful. And maybe a couple of cars will pass you during this hour, hour and a half run. Man, I live in Los Angeles. I ever there's so many intersections. People are going 75 miles per hour through residential areas. They're doing donuts and cookies. You're it is crazy. You don't go on a scenic run in California, at least where I'm at. Okay? That's weird. You have to get in your car and drive to a place to go for a run, which is so I used to step outside my door, lace my shoes up, turn on my little my my little iPad or iPod and I would go for a run from the front door and I would do a nice little loop and I'd go all the way back to my front door. You literally have to get in a car and drive somewhere to get out and then run, run back to your car and then drive home. It's like, bro, it's so weird. My point is this. I used to say I could never run a half marathon marathon on a uh, on a treadmill. 
I can't run on a treadmill. I can't focus. I I, I get too bored. Uh, it, I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. What I see people doing is they're mixing up their preferences with their ability. What I should have been saying is I prefer not to run on a treadmill. I prefer not to be stuck in the same place. I prefer not to be on a hamster wheel. But do I have the ability? Yes, I, I, I do have the ability. I have the ability. I can't cross my ability and my preference together. So many people will say, well, I can't pray every day. I can't do a fast. I can't do this. That's not true. That is your preference. That's not your ability. You have the ability to do a fast. You have the ability to get into your Bible every day. You have the ability to pray. You have the ability to say no to temptation. You have the ability to break the chains of pornography that is on your life. You have the ability to stop drinking. You have the ability to change and transform. Stop saying that you can't. It is your preference that you choose not to. But we do possess the ability. So we're getting our wires crossed of between our preferences and our likes and our ability. Stop saying you can't do something when you just don't like it, when you choose not to do it, right? Preferences are constantly being exchanged for our ability. You guys are fearfully and wonderfully made and can do far more than you will ever give yourself credit for. Do not limit the power of God because you don't like something because it's not your preference. Guess what I'm doing? I don't like running on a treadmill. I, I never thought that I could, but guess what I'm doing? I'm running on a treadmill every single day because I understand it's my choice. I could not run it because I can make all of the excuses in the world. I can make all of the excuses in the world. Well, I'm in California. It's not that easy. You got to drive somewhere. It's unsafe, blah, 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 blah. Or I can shut up and show up and go to work. And that sounds rude. That sounds, well, where's the love and truth in that, brother? Right? That's not very edifying. Sometimes, right? the Bible even says we have two ears and one mouth because we need to listen twice as much as we speak. That's a polite way of saying sometimes we need to just zip it and we need to listen and we need to just show up and just be quiet. Right? That's the polite way. That's the King James version. Uh, that's the amplified version. Shut up and show up. Stop making excuses. Right? Stop excuses the only person and please if this hurts your feelings i'm sorry i, I don't intend to be harsh or hard-hearted i've been getting a little um aggressive i guess so i need to check my heart uh because some of the language might come off offensive and i don't want to hurt your guys' feelers and um offend anybody but um that's the gospel the word of god is offensive it offends those who are in the wrong. It offends those who are, are living in a way that is contradictory to that. I would rather offend somebody, right, for truth than have somebody lose their soul or have somebody lose the purpose that they have or somebody walking in darkness. I would much rather offend you into action and doing something about your situation than be passive and tickle your ears and spoon feed you and water things down and sugar it up, sweeten it up, and you are just tiptoeing and pity patting and tap dancing your way right into darkness. So if it's offensive, I apologize. Um, but uh, sometimes we need to just zip it and show up. Amen. I love you guys. So uh, let's pray. I, I do got to get out of here. I got stuff to do today. Um, as much as I love to be here, I really do. Um, I do got stuff I got to get after. So today, Go ahead and put your prayer requests in the comment section. We're going to close in prayer. I just want to say that um, 
I appreciate you guys. 82 bucks. 82 bucks you guys have donated through badges. I appreciate it. Glory to God. I'm thankful and grateful for each one of you guys. Um, so much, much appreciation. God bless you guys. It goes straight to our ministry. Our next service, you guys, February 20th, show up, Royal City Church. We're following a model of, uh, you know, once a month just because, you know, church is expensive to, to run and to open the doors. Now, we can do it in different places, but it requires permits. We've had, we've just had a lot of issues that we're running into. Um, and so February 20th, we'd love to see you guys out here in Inglewood, California. If you're like, whoa, well, I didn't even know you had a church or you're a pastor or where's your church? Go to the link in my bio. There's a bio. There's, I mean, it, it surprises me how many people, they don't go to the link in your bio. It gives you guys all of my information. It gives you, I mean, there's an email address. People are like, how do I contact you? And it's like email. Where's your email address? There's literally a tab that says email. Go click on it. It'll take you straight to our, our, our church's email. You guys go, go search it. There's a, a link that says Royal City Church. It's the church that I'm the pastor of. <laughs> like everybody wants everything handed to them. Do a little research. Where's, where's my detectives out there, right? If you were searching for your spouse, you would do all the detective work. You'd click all the links in their bio, right? Make sure that they're not wifed up or, or they got somebody else. You guys do all the detective work. But when it comes to, you know, this kind of stuff, we get lazy. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you today. Uh, we just thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. We are grateful uh, honored and privileged to know your son, Jesus. God, and that's what it's all about. Help us to see that this life is about him, that that everything that we do, every gift that we have is to make him more known. Lord, forgive us if calling ourselves servants isn't uh, isn't what you want. You, we know that you call us friends. That we, we know that we are your, your children. But because we love you, God, we serve you. Right? Because we love you as a brother and because we're family, we serve you. Service isn't, isn't uh, it's not something that we um, are burdened by, Lord. We are blessed and honored. We want to wash feet more than we throw stones. Lord, we want to be lights in this dark world. So help us to walk in that boldness and that confidence. God, help us to be pillars of light. Lord, help us to be beacons of light in this place. Help people be drawn to us, to, to our lives, to our ministries, because they exemplify what it is to follow Jesus. And they see you in us. And when they come to us, Lord, help us boldly point them in the direction of truth. Help them to find the truth and help us just to be, to be vessels for your Holy Spirit that lead people there. That's all we want. God, that is what we were created for. That is our purpose. Help us to walk in that boldly. That's what we desire. That's what we truly long for. God, I want to lift up prayer requests for my brothers and sisters. We just ask that you would breathe life into their situations according to your will. God, help them to use discernment to see that the place that they're in is right where you want them to be. And help them to find opportunities that have your goodness written all over it. Where they can see that they are in line with what you're doing. That they have confirmation in the spaces and the places that they are that that's right where you have them for a reason. God, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. And we pray all of this today in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Glory to God. Thank you, guys. Don't you ever, don't you ever feel like you have to buy a badge. Ever. 
I understand that you wish that you could. This is free 99, you guys. I will be here every day. When badges go away, I'm sure that they will someday. I'm still here. Doesn't matter. Half marathon is 13.1 miles. For those of you who asked, Miss Vicky asked. It's 13.1. Um, and I'm in week two of training. The longest I've run so far in the last two weeks is four miles. So we go up every two weeks. So next week I'll run five. And then I think it goes up to six and a half. And we just gradually add a little bit more miles. So I ran two yesterday. I run four tomorrow. And I run three on Saturday, Friday and Saturday. And then it just increases each week. I've done it before. I did a half marathon in 2010. I ran it in an hour and 45 minutes. Those are eight minute miles. Um, I was a lot lighter. I was a lot younger. But God put it on my heart that I need a challenge. I need something. Uh, I need a challenge. I need something physically. Love something physically um, to, to push myself and to challenge myself. And so I'm excited about it. And um, so far, so good. Everything's holding up. The first, the first week was... It wasn't terrible. It was just, uh, I don't do it normally. I lift a lot of weights. So that's had to change. I've had to lift less weights, a lot lighter, um, a lot of stretching, a lot more stretching, but the body's holding up. The body's doing good. And for those of you asking, I do lemon water and tea in the morning, and then uh, I do one coffee, and then I do a decaf, you know, a little bit later. And do I work out when I fast? Absolutely, 100%. I just modify it for intensity. I make sure that I'm not overdoing it. So I listen. I, I pay very much. The older you get, and I'm not even old. I'm 37. But the older I get, the more in tune with my body. So if my body, back in the day when I was younger, if my body hurt, I'd just be like, don't be weak. No pain, no gain. And I'd rush in and I would go try to set a PR. But now as I hurt, I still go. I just modify the intensity. So if I get up and everything feels good, I'm going to go hard. Um, if I get up and it doesn't feel good, then I go and I, I modify the intensity. I'll go a little bit lighter. Maybe I'll walk. I'll do more recovery work. I'll do more stretching. Um, I just am more in tune with, with what I'm doing. So, um, yeah. I remember I used to get up and I would, I would feel great. You know, I'd play basketball and I'd hop up and I'm just like, woo. Now, if I play basketball the next day, uh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty tore up. I can keep up while I'm there. It's not, it's not my performance. It's the recovery period. As you get older, you recover a lot slower. And so the things that I could do, I could play basketball four or five days in a row. No issue. I can only play a couple of days a week, um, without it being an issue. So <laughs> yeah. It's the, the, the beauty of getting older. But it's like, I always think if you don't use it, you lose it. So what happens is a lot of people, as they get older, they stop being, they stop being, they stop moving. They stop being active. And then bones start to settle and you start to get weaker and things start to get harder. My mindset is just, you just keep going. You never stop. You just modify as, uh, as you go. And I, I've, I've got some people who are older. You know, I got a, a mentor who's in his seventies, sixties and fifties, different men. And, um, I mean, some of them are, are avid CrossFitters. They're still moving and they're in great shape. And their advice to me was just like, never stop. They were just like, just don't take time off. A lot of people will take years off and it's hard to get that back. It's hard to recover once you stop. So you just keep moving. Amen. Awesome. All right. I got to get out of here. I love you guys. I honor you. And I look forward to seeing you back here tomorrow morning, 530 a.m. Uh, and everything I say is done in truth and in love. Um, if I ever go into my flesh and I'm preaching from a, a point of view, from, from my personal opinion, 
Uh, I repent for that. That is never my intention. I want this to be the word of God. Uh, and so there are times where sometimes I might get too carried away. So um, I just ask that you guys would forgive me. I am a man and sometimes I get super excited about this and I might say something that's boneheaded or put my foot in my mouth. I don't want to come off as being insensitive or um, you know not empathetic, but I love you guys. I really do. And I honor you. And um, I will see you guys tomorrow. And for those of you in my men's group, I'll see you guys tonight.